This week on the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln podcast, we are going to talk about Memorial Day. Frontier of hope and possibility. Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes! Welcome to the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. My name is Jeremy. With me today are Rail Splitter Mary. Hey, everybody. And Rail Splitter Nick. What's up, Internet Universe? So welcome to episode number 51. I'd like to start the episode by giving a quick apology. We made 50 consecutive weeks of posting episodes and we broke the streak last week. Uh, It was the last week of the school year here in Illinois for us, which creates quite a lot of work on my part and I believe on Nick's part as well. Um, and just kind of caught up with us, and we were not able to get the three rail splitters together to record an episode. So, we want to thank Rail Splitter Nation for your patience. Uh, this episode's a little bit late, but uh, we are now starting a new streak of one, and hopefully, 51 weeks from now, we will be celebrating smashing our old record of 50 when we air our, I guess, it would be our 101st episode. Uh, for a new weekly streak, we still hope to come at you uh, every Thursday coming uh, with Lincoln content or Civil War content or anything in between uh, every Thursday. So the new streak has started. The streak is at one. Uh, so uh, we are going to introduce today or this week a new feature on the show that we've been talking about for a couple weeks and we've decided to put in the show starting today. Uh, that feature is called Of the People, By the People. Um, wait, did I screw the order of that? By the People, no, of the you. People, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's By the People, Of the People, um, which will be very simple. What we're going to do is each of us are going to mention our favorite post on social media of the week, uh, almost always Lincoln or Civil War related. We have given Nick a specific quota on wrestling-related content. <laughs> we'll see if he adheres to that quota. Um, but we will bring to you uh, a uh, that what we like. So um, many of the f- people we follow, or at least I follow, related to Lincoln or the Civil War are actually listeners um, or previous guests on the show. So you may hear one of your tweets as uh, featured in this little weekly feature that we have. Uh, on the show, so uh, please tag us or um, use hashtags about Lincoln so we can find your tweets uh, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Rail Splitter Pod because we'd love to share one of your tweets or Facebook posts or Instagram posts um, on the show in our new feature. So, for our first installment, who would like to go first, Mary or Nick? Um, in the very, very first uh, installment of this new feature, which is of I'm the gonna, people by the people. I'm going to let Mary go because okay. I, I, I knew this was a new feature, but I didn't realize that all three of us were doing it. And to be honest, <laughs> I forgot what the new feature was. Um, so I'm going to do my, my you know professional research that I've been doing the last month or so 
um, while she's giving everybody hers. All right. Nothing but the That's best here. Crack, crack preparation. I will say this, that Mary and Nick crushed it on preparing show notes for this week. So uh, Nick, Nick did a great job preparing for this week's episode, as did Mary. Um, they're definitely going to carry me this week. Just not on our new feature. So our first installment will be from Mary in Of the People by the People. What do we got? Okay, so mine comes from this Facebook group I'm part of called All Things Civil War. And I wouldn't have known about it um, had Andrea, who she posts quite a bit in uh, the Rail Splitter Facebook group, as well as my very dear friend, Jen. They both tagged me in this post. And what it was is it is a teacher. And I'm guessing he's a history teacher, but he was already making a hall pass for next year. And on that hall pass, he has General Sherman. And it says, um, you know, student's name, marching through the hall on Mr. Power's orders and not making anybody howl. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) Which I just thought, yeah, it it made my day to see that. Um, And then he, he actually had like, so any other suggestions? I want to make another one like Lincoln, Chamberlain, Grant. So I commented and suggested he do a Lincoln one. And that he wrote on it, shall walk through the hall with malice toward none. Oh, I like that. That's good. <laughs> Nick, did you have enough time? Yeah, always. <laughs> um, well, we'll just keep it Lincoln related. Uh, there's this guy, Paul Pocket. I guess I don't know if it's a guy or girl. Uh, but somebody, Pocket Presidents. You guys ever see this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, he had an Abraham Lincoln one. So he put his little pocket Lincoln. And I don't know where the statue's from. But then he had a little, like, poem. Small A, big Abe, on a hand and on the street, how many, many Abes you meet. So I liked that six days ago. So that falls in the past week. Um, there was a lot of Star Wars and basketball stuff. The other thing that shocked me, actually, I got, I, I, is the Zoe Deschanel. Have you seen the picture where she has her bangs and her glasses? And then next to it is a picture without the bangs or glasses, and it looks like a completely different person. But that was that, that was my reserve one. one. That was the reserve, not Lincoln or Civil War related post. <laughs> um, real quick, uh, Nick mentioned Star Wars. I will admit part of the reason we weren't able to post last week is because of the premiere of Solo. As many of you know, we are Star Wars fans here at the Real Splitter Podcast. You may want to tune in to our Lincoln and Star Wars episode, which is a real thing. We did an episode connecting the world of Abraham Lincoln to Star Wars. Check that out in some of our previous episodes. Um, I won't spoil anything from Solo other than to say I give it my thumbs up. I give it a three and a half stars. I thought it was very, very strong. And I will say that if we re-recorded our episode on Lincoln and Star Wars, there is a character from Solo who is more Lincoln-esque than any character, I believe, in the history of the Star Wars universe. Um, So I'm sure many of you who have seen the movie know exactly which character I'm talking about. Um... But I'd love to hear your thoughts on who that character is, and um, pretty pretty cool. I think it was intentional that they made it Lincoln-esque. Mm-hmm. I think that everything about the character, um, except for its humanity, it's not a human, nor is it a male. <laughs> but other than that, it's very Lincoln-esque. I'm going to have to ask, uh, my Jeremy is at Solo tonight, and I'm going to ask him, if there was a character in it that reminds him of Lincoln. And I just want to see what he says. I hope he's correct. Um, (laughs) He probably also really likes the 
character's name because it's kind of a reference to gaming as well. He, yeah, he probably will. So um, the of the people by the people installment that I chose, I kind of am choosing this um, because I really, really liked it. Uh, it definitely um, directly links to Abraham Lincoln. And it's also a nice segue to today's topic for the show. It is a tweet by the 44th president of the United States, Barack Obama. Um, his tweet on Memorial Day uh, moved me. I thought it was very eloquent and well-written. Um, his tweet reads, or read, We can never truly repay the debt we owe our fallen heroes, but we can remember them, honor their sacrifice, and affirm in our own lives those enduring ideals of justice, equality, and opportunity for which generations of Americans have given the last full measure of devotion. Uh, the reason I said that, obviously I really like the tweet. I thought it was very presidential, very on point, very much in a small number of characters captured the sentiment of Memorial Day and the last few words are a direct quote from the Gettysburg Address. So um, he is a very, very smart man. There is no chance that he did not do that on purpose. That was very much a nod to President Lincoln and the Gettysburg Address, where he said um, that from these honored dead, we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. Um, so the last full measure of devotion is Lincoln's way, and now Obama's quoting him, um, his way of um, saying that people who, who have given their lives for, the, for their country, some people call it the ultimate sacrifice, um, Lincoln and now Obama have called it the last full measure of devotion, which is a brilliant way to say it. And I really, really liked how he um, gave a nod to Lincoln in his Memorial Day tweet just this year. This was not from his presidency. This was uh, recently. So uh, the most presidential tweet of Memorial Day by far this year was from Obama. And that brings us to our topic for today's episode, which is Memorial Day. And we apologize for bringing this to you after Memorial Day. But there's no rule that says you can only honor the honor those who gave the last full measure of devotion on that, what is it, second, third Monday? No, fourth Monday in May? Whenever it is. Memorial Day. Right, so um, real quick, very, 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 very minor pet peeve of mine. I don't know why it very slightly annoys me when people mix up Veterans Day and Memorial Day. Like Memorial Day is for people who died in service of their country. Uh, so... You can't wish someone a happy Memorial Day. Because I completely agree. Th those who are honored on Memorial Day gave that sacrifice. It's very specifically for them. Not to say that it's not a day to honor veterans. It certainly is. But, you know, Veterans Day is for veterans. And Memorial Day is for people who passed away or died in service of our country. Um, not a big deal, but I just kind of... I think it's important to make that distinction because it's important to note... Um, people who made that ultimate sacrifice um, gave that last full measure of devotion. So um, we're going to talk about Civil War, uh, Civil War casualties, Abraham Lincoln and uh, handling the war, handling huge um, numbers of casualties, what that may have done to him, um, and just kind of bring in some different scholars and commentators on his take on what would now be Memorial Day and those who gave that last full measure of devotion. So I'll turn it over to uh, Mary and Nick, you guys really, really handled the brunt of preparing for today's show, and I thank you for that. So um, where do you guys want to start? I don't care. <laughs> so Mary. Uh, <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. I could go. 
I think okay. maybe it transitions better into what Mary spent her time on. Um, yeah, to me, you know, I think at the Civil War, I think the true heroes of the Civil War are the Union soldiers. Um, especially because, to me, I feel like the Confederate soldiers always get the rub for being like, I don't know why that is, but I think they're perceived or a lot of people look at them as being the better soldiers, which I don't agree at all. Uh, because the Union, um, you know, had, it's the Union soldiers that truly made the difference because they're the ones that continued to fight when things were bad. You know, I think of battles like Fredericksburg, you know, where they're seeing their generals sending them up that hill and just dying in great numbers, but still continuing to fight. To me, that is truly the, the reason the Union won, or one of the main factors is that they continued to fight, and then finally Grant came in and was able to lead them to victory. And by them, and it would have been way easier for them because it wasn't their land being invaded either. You know, I think it's always a little bit easier motivation when you're on the defensive. So um, to me, I kind of always view the Union soldiers as a key component to why the Union won. The fact that they stayed tough, they stayed committed to the cause, and they were doing it. And I don't think they get the shine that they deserve um, at, at all when we look back on it for multiple reasons. Yeah, I would agree real quick on that. I think Fredericksburg's the perfect example of that. If you were to pick one battle that embodies that, I think all of the battles do, obviously, but that one specifically, because, um, I, you know, and, and, and part of this is me just stealing from Shelby Foote in the Ken Burns documentary, but um, he basically says, like, what Fredericksburg did, it was a catastrophic loss for the Union um, from a military standpoint, but it really proved the mettle of the, the Union soldier to the to the south almost in a way that was uh, demoralizing to them in, a, in the face of a huge victory where they they could see wave after wave of union soldier basically going into almost certain death um and following orders and doing it so so gallantly and so bravely that um i think that that's that's very true and it almost became a strategy you know become became a war of attrition and uh, the the north was just able to sustain more casualties than the south and and had a bunch of people who were willing to do it and willing to pay that ultimate sacrifice. So, hey, I think that's a great point. No, it's a very good point, Nick. And I mean, I learned that and saw it, especially when I was at Chickamauga, you know, being on Snodgrass Hill where General Thomas made his stand and became the rock of Chickamauga, how he kept those soldiers there till basically the bitter end. And then they had to go back to Chattanooga. And then you had the siege of Chattanooga and how they held out, even when supplies were running low. And in the battle on Missionary Ridge, you had the, the Union soldiers running up it shouting Chickamauga, Chickamauga, you know, and just kind of going forward, knowing how important it was to win that area for the Union. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I agree. I guess I started it all, so of course I agree. Um, <laughs> But a couple things I thought would be good before we kind of dive into Lincoln and uh, how he helped the soldiers kind of, you know, set the stage. You know, the Civil War was unique because it was kind of a turning port in warfare. You know, you have Napoleonic tactics were the way of the day. You march out in these rows. You try to concentrate your fire. But then you have modern technology, you know, really um, change. That it just wasn't going to be effective or it wasn't needed. You got the mini ball, you know. Um, that comes out, you got better artillery, um, the cannons are more accurate, the guns are more accurate. Um, so it was really old tactics plus new technology always equals mass casualties. We saw that Civil War. I think you see that World War One. 
Um, and whenever you see a major change like this, uh, that's what you have happened. And, and it was devastating. I mean, the mini ball was ruthless. You know, it didn't just like some bullets now go straight clean through you. The mini ball shattered your bones inside your body, making it very difficult, which led to the only thing that they could do was amputation. Medicine wasn't nowhere near where it is now. Um, and, you know, and they were such warfare now so different in a lot of sense. I mean, we could literally have we literally have people in like Omaha, Nebraska, killing people with drones. I mean, that is so much different than in a lot of cases, it was hand to hand combat in some cases in the Civil War. So it was a lot more personal, too, meaning there's a lot more, you know, blood, brains, body parts basically being thrown at you as you're in it. And there's all sorts of quotes kind of just showing that, um, you know, sometimes a shell would burst just over our heads, scattering the fragments among us, you know, coming from uh, a soldier's letter at that time. So, I mean, it was very definitely a brutal warfare. And then the aftermath, too, just all these bodies laying there. Um, and I found a quote here from a guy on the 5th Regiment, New Hampshire, William Child. The days after the battle are a thousand times worse than the day of the battle. And the physical pain is not the greatest pain suffered. How awful it is you have not, you have not can have until you see it, any idea of affairs after a battle. The dead appear sickening, but they suffer no pain. But the poor, wounded, mutilated soldiers that yet have life and sensation make a more horrid picture. I pray God may stop such infernal work through perhaps he has set it upon us for our sins. Great indeed, we must have been our sins as such is our punishment. I mean, I mean, you hear stories. Just talk about like the guys at Fredericksburg that night just, you know, crying out. Um, because they're in pain, knowing that they can't get out there. I mean, it was just brutal, um, just a brutal warfare. And there wasn't modern medicine like we have it now. Um, you know, amputations by the thousands. There's stories about Antietam where they're throwing the arms outside, the arms and legs outside the window, and it piles high to the window. Um, so, and, you know, there were some pain kills, but then opiates, you know, they had their drug addictions as well. And then disease. Disease was the biggest problem. Um, so you survived the battle. You had disease. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to jump in here. I feel like I'm just rambling. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just terrible conditions. You got to – for a lot of these kids, we think it's so local, but the Civil War people didn't travel that far, that era too. So for them, it was a foreign land in some cases to where they were traveling. So – um, I know they weren't traveling overseas like World War II, Korean War, Vietnam, but to them, it was a different world. You're talking about enlistments, enlistments of three years, no phones or Skypes. We're talking about letters. That was inconsistent, especially when you were on the move. Um, you know, and, and they had their post-war issues as well. Um, you know, PTSD wasn't even known as PTSD then. It was taboo to talk about these things because of the Victorian um, era or culture that existed. Um, there was no Veterans Administration, no GI Bill. It was just a really brutal, brutal, tough time. Um, and their main form of transportation was walking. I mean, Stonewall Jackson, I mean, we're talking what? He walked his guys over 20 miles a day yep. um, in gear, wool uniforms. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you think about the guys who showed up late on Gettysburg, marching 15 hours just to charge up little round top there, you know? Um, so 
it, it was really tough, and I think that's important to consider that. It was a different war than what we're used to. Um, you know, every war has its goods and its bads, but it was a very personal war. Um, and I think the fact that it was old, techno old tactics with new technology is what made it especially so gruesome. And they really didn't figure it out till the very end when they start building trenches around Petersburg um, and some of those other battles. Yeah, I agree, Nick. And I think that that actually, both of the two points that you made, the first one about um, the, the bravery of Union soldiers, but really both sides, um, combined with the technology outpacing the tactics, made, I think, made that bravery even more exceptional. Because like it's not like they were hiding the numbers. The casualties were in the tens of thousands on on any given day, um, because of those the technology outpacing the tactics. And to sign up for that uh, is is truly remarkable. Um, and I'm you know I am in no position to disrespect anybody's service, and I and I don't at all. I value all of our servicemen and women and everyone who served for this country. I do think that in a very very important part of supporting our armed forces is also being very, very, um, I don't necessarily want to say critical, but very sensitive, very aware of the circumstances that lead to war and making sure that those are necessary and appropriate. And I always think of the, the saying that, that, um, people fight for our freedoms and they fought for our freedom. Um, I think that that's obviously very noble cause. And, and I, and I don't know that if every war, Really, if that's really an accurate statement, can you re- you know can we say that um, that's always been the case that our service people have fought for our freedom? And I think it's tragic that they may not have fought for our freedoms. They certainly may have been fighting for freedom for other people, and that's a noble cause. But I do think that the Civil War, as much or more than any other war, was truly about fighting for freedom. Um, so I think that that's um, the cause was so noble on the side of the North. Um, Two that I think that also needs to be to be acknowledged. Not that their service counts more than any other war. I'm not saying that at all, or that their sacrifice was any greater than any other war. Um, but I do think that that cliche that kind of becomes cliche because it gets thrown around so often. Um, when really I think we should be critical of that. Like if they're not protecting freedom, then that then it's not a noble fight. Um, this more than any I think protected our like the American ideal of freedom more than any other war, and, and um, I think that that's important to, to think about, too. That's a very good point, and um, one thing I wanted to mention was, you know, it's old tactics, new technology, but they did bring in a new tactic to help end the war, and that was what, um, like, Sheridan did it, but Sherman um, most definitely did it with his March to the Sea, and that was to, you know, kind of bring it, I guess, to the people, and he did what had to be done to help end the war. And I've been reading a book about his March to the Sea, and it has a section on his the soldiers in it um, and how it affected them. And apparently they saw it as like, to them, it was to end the war and to bring freedom. And it was what had to be done. And it was a new tactic that was being introduced, and it was basically the total war tactic you bring it to everybody which lays the foundation for like world war one world yeah, war two exactly no i agree and then because of that you know every war especially when you had this many fighting you know talking over millions 
over what 600,000 um, S I think or casualties. Um, so obviously Lincoln is being exposed to that. And, you know, part of your job, especially when you're president um, is to try to keep that morale high for those ones who are waging the war. Um, and I know that kind of feeds into where you took your research, Mary. Yeah, that's where I, I focused on Lincoln and how he viewed the soldiers and how he treated them. And we all know the famous line from his second inaugural, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan. And um, Ronald C. White has um, a book that I was kind of flipping through for my research called Lincoln's Greatest Speech, the Second Inaugural. And he says that this one line is like Lincoln being quite specific about what, what his ethical duty is, that when the war ends, he has to care for the soldiers. And I, he means the soldiers on both sides, so Union and Confederate. So in that, he's talking about both Union and Confederate soldiers in that line. Um, and Lincoln did have a brief stint as a soldier. It was in the Black Hawk War, which we did an episode about. Um, and even though this time was brief and he didn't see any combat, I think it probably gave him, him an appreciation for the life that a soldier would lead. And um, it gave him empathy for the soldier, but like add that on to the empathy that he already carries with him. He was an incredibly empathetic individual, especially for his time. And he said of his military experience in, 18, in his 1860 autobiographical statement that he had not had any success in life, which gave him so much satisfaction. So clearly he enjoyed his brief stint as a soldier. And there are many of Lincoln's speeches that he made to soldiers that show this deep level of respect that he had for them. And the ones that I picked um, are a couple that he gave in August of 1864 to two regiments from Ohio the 164th and the 166th, um, as they were passing through Washington, DC. And though the text of each speech is different, which I would encourage our listeners to go read these speeches, they are like, as always, beautiful prose from Lincoln. Um, the message in each speech is the same. So he begins off by being grateful for their service. Um, he expresses gratitude to them. For the service you have done in the great struggle in which we are engaged, I present you sincere thanks from myself and the country. I return to you, my sincere thanks, soldiers, for the honor you have done me this afternoon. So he, he thanks them. He's clearly quite grateful for them. Um, but he goes on to remind them of what their role is in this war and how important it is. And Jeremy, this gets back to what you were saying about fighting for freedom and how the Civil War truly was about that. And that's what Lincoln um, really believed. And he tells the soldiers in each speech that they're not merely fighting for their own freedom, but also their children's freedom and for generations after that. And that's how important that this war is. There is more involved in this contest than is realized by everyone. There is involved in this struggle the question where your children and my children shall enjoy the privileges we have enjoyed. And he even states in his speech to the 166th Ohio, I am living witness that any one of your children may look to come here as my father's child has. And he closes with, the nation is worth fighting to secure such an inestim inestimable jewel. I butchered that. I'm very sorry. Um, but he just like, he's con he, he realizes that this struggle is about freedom and he reiterates that to the soldiers. And he did that in a few of the speeches I read, not just the ones about, from to these Ohio regiments, but in other ones as well. 
And he also recognizes their courage in defeat. And this is a battle that's come up in this episode already, and that's Fredericksburg. And in a message that he wrote to the soldiers after the Union defeat, although you were not successful, the attempt was not an error, nor the failure other than an accident. The courage with which you in an open field maintain the contest against an entrenched foe and the consummate skill and success with which you crossed and recrossed the river in the face of the enemy shows that you possess all the qualities of a great army, which will yet give victory to the cause of the country and of the popular government. So there he is, you know, he knows to boost the morale and he knows to not be like, you know, I'm sure behind closed doors. And we know this from some of his exchanges that he was, you know, at one point when they lost a battle, he was like, my God, what will the country say? But to the soldiers, he's presenting this outward appearance of being strong for them to keep them going. And again, I think that goes back to this respect that he had for them. And he knew that they were the ones that were fighting, that were going to save the Union. And in March of 1864, he remarked at a sanitary fair in D.C., ladies and gentlemen, I appear to say but a word. This extraordinary war in which we are engaged falls heavily upon all classes of people, but the most heavily upon the soldier. For it has been said, all that a man hath will he give for his life. And while all contribute of their substance, the soldier puts his life at stake and often yields it up in his country's cause. The highest merit then is due to the soldier. Um, and then obviously in the Gettysburg address, he honors them. And he's honoring those that have made have given the last full measure of their devotion. Um, we have come here to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those here who gave their lives that this nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper we should do this. Yeah, yeah I, I think... Go ahead, Nick. I think all that is very important because he has a consistent message that he consistently believed in the cause. He consistently had the clear message of what we're fighting for. And that's really important when, you know, when it's time to re-enlist or when the shooting stops. Because, to be honest, when shooting happens, they're probably not thinking that at all. Because after, you know, I've talked to probably over 150 vets in interviews. And it's really, when it comes to battles and why you charge up the hill of Fredericksburg, it's because of that dude next to you. That's mm -hmm. why you do it. Um, or, or now at times, the lady as well. So that's why... You know, you fight, and it's really that bond that drives it. But it's during that downtime to why do we continue to do this together? That's where a consistent message needs to be had. And that's the struggle when you look at wars that have been unpopular. Towards the end of Korea, you know, there wasn't a clear message. You know, you had MacArthur on one side, you had Truman on the other of what they thought should be done. Vietnam, completely inconsistent. We've seen that. And um, Persian Gulf, consistent, got it done quick. I think the cause there that was seen as a popular war last war in Iraq, inconsistent message, inconsistent policy in Afghanistan ongoing. That's been a roller coaster too. And then especially in a democracy, you need that clear vision, what we're fighting for. And we have that civil war or the union had that with Lincoln in the civil war. And we have that as a nation world war two. Um, so I, I think it was very important for those downtimes. Why do I continue to do this? Why do we continue to do this when they're talking about that? Um, that's what was so important about it. I, I think what 
um, to kind of c- continue with that kind of line of, of conversation about like comparing it to other wars too and really looking at Lincoln's leadership, I think it's important to note that, uh, well, two things. One, he, in, in many different press circles and in, in many different public relations circles, he's, he's referred to as a butcher. He's kind of um, sometimes maybe even thought of as, I don't know if I'd say heartless, but pretty close where he's just like sending these young people in by the thousands and he becomes kind of the face of that sacrifice in many ways. Um, and he still has this reputation with the soldiers. And I think it's really important. Um, he won that 1864 election based on the soldiers' vote more than anything else. So he does have this um, reputation, certainly in certain circles, as someone who is, you know, maybe even callously sending young people to their death by the thousands. Um, but yet he had the support of the troops. Um, and it's not at all, I believe, in any sort of imperialistic, love-your-leader kind of way. Um, there's obviously been some tyrants throughout history who have probably also won elections based on soldiers because of this imperialistic, paternalistic kind of thing. That's not what Lincoln had at all. It was a definitely a democratic um, system as much as was possible at the time. But the soldiers, he had the soldiers' respect over someone like McClellan, who very much, contrary to kind of his reputation now, the soldiers really liked McClellan when he when they served for him because he prepared them um, and he didn't send them into battle in, in quite the same way that Lincoln did. Um, so I think it's important to see, to, to see that what he said to the troops, what he said about the troops, the soldiers, the servicemen, and um, they, they believed in him and they followed him and they voted for him. And, and, and I think that has a lot to do with it as well, a lot to do with their morale as much as they, they could have morale in those conditions. Um, and I think another distinction, um, and, and I think part of, part of it is how he talked about the cause and how he talked about the war, which is similar to Nick's point, um, where you know it, it, he just so, so much more eloquently supports them in their fight and their work more than just this kind of, um, you know, patriotic, blind support for troops, you know, with, with no exception, you know, you, you support, like, I think, I think now a lot of times support for the troops, I'm not saying that it's misplaced because it's not, but it's one of those things that it's like an unbreakable rule, like no matter what you have to support our military, but they never actually really talk, or rarely is it actually really addressed what those folks do for us. They kind of, you know, those cliches come out and I kind of talked a little bit about defending our freedom. I'm not saying they don't do that, but when you look at what Lincoln says, he really talks specifically about courage. He talks specifically about sacrifice, about um, service. Um, And I think that there's just so much more weight behind the way he talks about it because it's much more real. It's not hyperbolic and it's not this like, um, kind of ideal of the American soldier. It's like, like you can tell he's actually talking about individual people. He's not talking about a uniform. He's not talking about Army, Navy, Marines. He's talking about people. Um, and I think that just his way of communicating is, is just so strong that um, I think that resonates a lot more than um, kind of the patriotic flag-waving, drum-beating kind of patriotism um, that, that sometimes ends up being empty because it doesn't have the substance that Lincoln puts into his words. Another point. I, Go ahead. Could I drop in real quick? Yeah. Uh, because I also, it bugs me, at least current, like Veterans Day, the way it's celebrated is not for veterans. It's for us to feel better that there are veterans, I feel, because we have these parades, we have these flag wavings, you know, 
and the cookouts, barbecues, all that crap. But to me, if we really wanted to honor veterans, we'd give them an open mic and we'd give them an opportunity and we'd sit our asses in the seats and we'd listen to what those veterans had to say. To me, that would be the best way to honor uh, veterans at Veterans Day is to truly understand that the burden that they carry um, and, and especially that they carry with them after the war. Um, and, and you see that in all of these wars that we've ever fought, there's always that burden afterwards. And I almost feel like it's become Veterans Day has become a way for us to mask the realities of war to make us, the individuals who have not served, feel better about it all. I, com- right. I, yeah. I completely agree with you, Nick. Um, I had a couple grandfathers who fought in world. Well, one fought in World War II. The other was just a ground. He well, just I shouldn't say just. He was a ground crew in a mosquito squadron in England, and he watched planes take off for for D-Day and he said goodbye to many friends and he never saw them again. And the only, he talked about his experiences with very few people. One of them luckily was me. So I I can carry on his stories to people, but the stories were, hearing the stories were what made me respect the veterans so much. and I really think what you're saying need that's what needs to be done is to just kind of gain back that respect again to them. Right. And I and, and also I think that it's extremely important and tragically overlooked that the second step to not even the second step, you cannot say that you respect them by just listening. Like you hear these stories about mm-hmm. Like, you know, and they're, they're, I'm not knocking this at all, but like you hear stories about people like, oh, I saw, you know, I saw somebody wearing a Korean War veteran's hat, you know, at the diner, so I paid for his breakfast. Wonderful thing to do. I'm not denying that at all. But you can't say that, that that is how you support veterans. How you support veterans is you make sure that the VA hospitals are the best facilities in mm-hmm. the country, that the best yeah. physicians in the country are the ones providing care, that mental health is covered for everyone, especially veterans, that the cost of war is not bullets and it's not salaries for active duty and it's not uniforms. The cost of war is all those things plus the generations of care that result after that. And that's where I really struggle when people are like, you know, if you disagree with war, you don't support the troops. I'm like, no. The reason I disagree with war a lot of times is because I don't think our country is prepared to pay the cost that war is, which includes caring for people not just listening to their stories and certainly not just having parades, but actually treating them like human beings um, and, and, and really giving, the, giving them what they deserve from, an, from education. Like, you know, the GI Bill is a wonderful thing. It was, had some issues for sure, specifically from a racial standpoint, but um, like programs like that are important, but they don't always get the same amount they don't get the support that they should i i believe and that's part of it like you can't say you respect people service people without being willing to to really put your money where your mouth is and that's Mm -hmm. that's where i get a little critical of it kind of nick in the same way that you know for me to put a bumper sticker on my car that says i support the troops is nice i'm not saying don't do that but what i'm saying is when you put that bumper sticker on you are now committing to all of the things i just mentioned I believe. Um, I don't have a bumper sticker on my car that says that, but I feel like the way I support troops is by really disagreeing with war in almost all cases. Um, the Civil War, the Revolution, World War II, obviously there are there are just wars. Um, 
but like getting really nervous about what it could mean if you know we're reckless with North Korea what does that mean for human beings there and here what does it mean for generations to come of people who may go and serve and go and die what does that mean so for me to support troops I think like Lincoln did is not to take that lightly um, and a way to support troops sometimes is to disagree with what they have to do what you know what their duty ends up being so um, anyway I could obviously I'm very impassioned about that but that's how I feel you know and I think a lot and I'm not saying that people who participate in parades people who wear the shirts and put on the bumper stickers like those are very patriotic people and their hearts are in the right place for sure I'm just hopeful that they're also taking that that extra step um, one other thing that I think is very different well uh, I think what you're getting at it's I, I think what you're getting at is, you know, you're taking all the pieces. It's being educated. It's being, you know, mm -hmm. having your civic duty of being educated, being on top of current events, understanding what war truly is. Uh, you know, that's why we need the documentaries that Ken Burns has put out, the Civil War, the Vietnam. And, and those different things are important because it informs us so then we can make a better, more informed decision when it comes election time to put that person in there. And it really is these politicians are the ones in the democracy that decide whether we go to war. Um, and we need to make sure that we're doing the best that we can to hold them accountable, which comes by paying attention to all that stuff. And part of holding them accountable is making sure we're doing a just war as well as the long term game plan, as you um, just talked about. So, yeah, we're definitely getting on a rant about Veterans Day and Memorials Day and politicians and what they should do. It's a great <laughs> rant, though. And. I think it like it kind of leads into like Lincoln visited the soldiers to see firsthand what they had went through. Um, and he would often go to see them um, in hospitals in the DC area. And Mary would do the same. And she would sometimes sit and uh, like write letters home for the soldiers to let them, their families know they were doing okay or how they were. Um, and there's the very good example from the Lincoln movie where we see him going into a hospital in the Washington area and he shakes hands with each of the soldiers and he asks each of their names. Yeah. So there's that yeah. very personal level. Right. And I think that and, that's and I, and I always believe, and I, and I hope this is the case, but I do believe that he was doing it because he wanted to do it. I, I think he was. It wasn't some political stuff because he's doing a lot of this stuff without, you know, people knowing on his own. Um, you know, Mary the same way. I mean, I think it gets overlooked how much Mary also spent time there. So Right. And um, I, think, I, think, I think that but, gets understated a little bit, too, because, you know, Lincoln's presidency is similar to the combat like it's a transitionary period old school politics um and and really i think a lot of the like like officers in the civil war were still of that um era where they were dressed they had you know their dressings were very formal you know they um like grant was often looked down upon because he wasn't like this gentleman like officers were typically gentlemen typically moneyed you know like they came from a, a different class and it was almost um it was not as socially acceptable for people of higher rank to fraternize with the with the enlisted men, right? That was kind of like, so for Lincoln to actually visit him, I think many people would look at him like as that as being uncouth or kind of um, him being kind of kind of a hayseed or like not understanding the social mores where 
you know, he was of this aristocratic class being the president where to, to go into that would be kind of different. Whereas now, of course, you know, we look at it now, I think it was a bit of a, you know, I think in certain circles that would have been looked at as like, you know, beneath the office of the president, which is, you know, now looked at as probably the most dignified thing you could do. Um, and that's kind of in that transitionary period between the aristocratic kind of gentleman president, um, you know, head of state kind of thing versus a, a person of the people, um, which Lincoln certainly was, I think, at least, you know, one of the first presidents to really embody that, you know, man of the people, person of the people mm -hmm. kind of role. And, and, and he intentionally did not notify the press. This was not um, a, a publicity thing at all, but he would just kind of go and he actually went often um, to... Um, to the soldier's home, I think the, the amount of time he spent in the telegraph office um, is very important too. How vested he was in each in each military engagement. Um, it's not like he was sitting there for like Gettysburg and Shiloh, and that's about it. I mean, he was there all the time um, when he had people who could do that for him and then get dispatches to him a few minutes later. Um, one thing I did want to also just to shift gears a little bit that Lincoln I think is very important that I think a lot of leaders can learn from. He never really demonized the so the Southern fighting person, fighting man. He never really, you know, he never says anything hateful about them. When he's talking about combat, it, it has this air of dignity and sacrifice because he's not saying that you're fighting a lesser person or lesser being, you know, whereas I think Sometimes now when we talk about combat, I think, I think there's a lot of hate that goes into like hating the enemy, which I think undermines the mission in many ways. Because when you dehumanize the enemy, what you're saying is the combat then is something different than what it is. Like looking at another fighting force as a worthy adversary with a disagreement and, and really, you know, and you hear, and I think that's some of the most moving stuff I hear from Vietnam documentaries is when you hear Vietnam vets talk about uh the enemy they never say they, they're not they're not using racist terms they're not talking like they're um you know these communists that that are just you know not knowing what to do or that you know that there's so much respect there because they fought so hard um and in many cases fought harder than anybody i mean like unfathomably hard like knowing that they were going to die knowing that they weren't going to get the dignity of a burial um or that their family was going to have no idea what happened to them. Like they just, they had no infrastructure whatsoever for those things. Like to hear that respect. Um, and then sometimes you hear leaders now talking about the entire Arab world being, you know, animalistic or, you know, these like savages or something. Um, I think, I think undermines combat undermines the sacrifice that our service people make. And especially when they die, what you're saying is that they were, you know, it's, it, it takes a little bit away from the sacrifice, I think. So there is a little bit to be learned from Lincoln in how he talks about um, the Southern forces. The worst words that he said publicly would be to call them rebels, and that was more. He said that more privately. He really did not talk derogatorily about about the enemy really at all, and I think that that dignifies the combat even more, and dignifies the sacrifice even more. Um, now it is a civil war. He's obviously probably got an eye toward reconstruction, uh, but still. No, I think that's a great point because, you know, sitting in, like I said, uh, you know, hearing from especially World War II, Korean, Vietnam veterans, and even some of the more current ones we've interviewed, you know, the, the, 
the vast majority always respect the other side. And that's just another example. I think just Lincoln just knew how to talk to veterans. Mm -hmm. He knew how to go in there and he knew what to say. I think part of that was that he understood veterans. Part of that, you know, is he just had that personality characteristic. But I mean, get back to that earlier point that you made, Jeremy, that th this is why he won their vote in 1864. Like he understood all that stuff and, and that was important. Um, and I think that's a great point that you brought up. Sorry, Mary, I think I cut you off there. No, no, that's okay. And Jeremy, thank you for that. That was I completely agree with you. And um, when he visited um, in City Point in April of 1865, he, he goes to a military hospital to specifically meet the soldiers. And when he arrives, he's directed towards the kitchens and he gets offended by it. And someone starts to explain to him how the kitchens function and Lincoln just interjects and says, gentlemen, you know better than I how to conduct these hospitals, but I came here to take by the hand the men who have achieved our glorious victories. And he is said to have shaken the hands of 5,000 men that day. That's how many patients were there. Uh, he wanted to see them all. Um, but getting back to your point about the Confederate soldiers, Jeremy, he encountered a few of them when he was at this hospital and they left, he left quite an impression upon them. And one of them, um, let me just find it here. He said that it was a Confederate officer who had been captured at Five Forks. And the Colonel asked Lincoln if he knew whose hand he was about to shake. And Lincoln responded, he did not. And he said, well, you offer it to a Confederate Colonel who has fought you as hard as he could for four years. And Lincoln responds, well, I hope a Confederate Colonel would not refuse me his hand. And the colonel later stated, I tell you, he had a most magnificent magnificent face and eye that I have ever gazed into. He had me whipped from the time he first opened his mouth. So there's these encounters where the Confederate soldiers are even, you know, they're, I think they're kind of in awe of her, of his humanity, that he's treating them in this way, that he's willing to shake their hand, even though they've been fighting against him. Yeah, I, th I think that's a great quote and a great kind of anecdote that kind of embodies that, that just that respect, you know, and, and I think that, you know, you can look at a lot of military leaders since specifically in World War Two, I think Patton um, and MacArthur very much so had tremendous respect for the enemy. Um, and I think we've lost that a little bit um, recently, um, not in all cases, um, by any means, but um, looking at at the opposition as something other something you know a little bit dehumanizing them just a little bit so which i think undermines obviously them but certainly the the i think the sacrifice that our service people are willing to make and um trudeau had a really good it was um noah andre trudeau who wrote this one article i read he had a very good quote which sums up a lot of what we've been talking about in the last few minutes um his actions at the hospital were not perfunctory, but rather an expression of sympathy and honor from the heart to men who had sacrificed so much. In taking their hands, Lincoln was affirming for each Union soldier the righteousness of their cause. And for the Southerners he encountered, the president's firm grip said clearly, welcome back to the Union. Yeah, that's exactly, that's a great point. Um, we're getting close to an hour, so uh, we're going to wrap it up here in a second. Uh, but before we do, Mary and Nick, did you have any other points that you want to bring up about Memorial Day or Lincoln and the Civil War and Memorial Day? I think uh, we covered it. I mean, mm 
did a lot of good Lincoln stuff. Got into a couple pet peeves of the current day. I think it, you know, this was a masterpiece. <laughs> all right. Um, I don't know about that, but I think we did good service. Yeah. At least. So yeah. by all means, please uh, on social media let us know about uh, maybe some stories you have from your family with regard to Memorial Day um, or service in general. Um, you know, it's, I think it's important and I hope everybody had a good Memorial Day to spend some time enjoying the freedom, which we enjoy in this country and in Canada and around the world and, um, uh, had some time for some reflection in whatever way you see is, um, appropriate for those soldiers who have left us. Um, one real quick, interesting little news story that came across that I saw, um, and I always bring up local stuff and I apologize for our listeners who are not in the area, but... Um, we had a flag, um, a ceremony where people put some flags on Civil War soldiers' grave sites um, in Rockford, Illinois, um, and I didn't even realize that they were there. Um, I literally lived in an apartment where the the backyard backed up to this cemetery where there was a bunch of Rockford area Civil War, um, people who, who died in the Civil War buried. Um, so that was um, pretty moving for me, so I'll go check that out um, right over in this actually in Nick's neighborhood now. So um check that out there's always local there's local stuff going on all over the place so you know around veterans day memorial day really anytime there's you know if you really look for it you can probably find some cool civil war stuff in your town um and maybe look up a little local history to see what you know what what your town did uh for the civil war and where um and what they did that's one of the nice things about um researching civil war is the the geographic nature of the regiments and units uh, you can kind of find out what your town did, uh, for better, for worse, for otherwise, all that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, they stopped doing that because entire towns were wiped out in many ways because of the geographic nature of the divisions. But um, something worth uh, researching, and I've found that pretty interesting myself, that um, there's some Civil War soldiers not far away. Um, for... I did have one more tidbit, actually. Yeah. I apologize mm-hmm. because you did give me opportunity. But there is a president who actually served in the military, not before he became president, but after. The idiot, known as Millard Fillmore, actually was part of the New York militia at the outbreak of the Civil War. He just basically was home guard, prisoner of war, and ceremonial duties. And I believe he, uh, it was like the militia that uh, came out when Lincoln's funeral procession came through Buffalo as well, so. So I guess Fillmore, you know, he did at least something. We'll give him a pass for a Memorial Day episode, even though he just was referred to as an idiot on our show. So uh, we do have a new feature, which is of the people by the people. So pay attention for that, and we we'll hopefully will feature some posts from you all on that at the top of each show. And we might do it at the top or the bottom or the middle. Who knows? Uh, we do also have our feature that we've done every week. We did it 50 weeks in a row, took a week off, and now we're back. And that is This Week in Lincoln. I am going to go ahead and provide This Week in Lincoln this week. Uh, fitting in with the theme of the show of a military-themed show, all of the uh, servicemen and women for the Illinois National Guard have the same patch. Um, each state has a patch. Um, signifying what state they represent if they're in the National Guard. The Illinois, um, it's worn on the shoulder, the Illinois patch is a silhouette of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, So if you ever see the National Guard called in or called up um, or involved in active duty and you see Abraham Lincoln, you will know that that service person is from Illinois. Um, It is not the most 
detailed silhouette. <laughs> um, it could be anyone with a beard, I suppose. Maybe it could be a silhouette of Nick himself, but uh, it is intended to be a silhouette of Abraham Lincoln. So it is kind of cool. There's a National Guard uh, uh, post very, very close to the school that Nick and I work at. So um, oftentimes we see recruiters and other service people come in or come around the building and they have that Abraham Lincoln shoulder patch. I think it's a very cool, uh, cool thing that they have that. Um, and I'm happy to see Abraham Lincoln uh, represented on our men and women in uniform from Illinois. So I think that's very cool. So that was This Week in Lincoln, where we bring in Lincoln showing up somewhere outside the context of history uh, once a week. Uh, we will be back next Thursday. Our streak will go from one to two. Hopefully we'll break our record of 50 episodes. Any parting words, Mary or Nick? Well, that was a great episode, a great way to remember... Uh soldiers agreed all right well it's been nice chatting with you all again after a week off so uh, it's good to be back we will be back next thursday but until then please continue to walk the world with malice toward none and charity for all and we'll see you next week